Hello there and welcome to Racehorse Movies, the show where two film fans take a racing sheet from last week, pick a random horse name for each other and from that name pitch a movie. In the pitch, to flesh out our movie ideas, we may include such things as stars, directors, composers, best boys and stable boys. Maybe not that last one. Hoping none of our ideas have to be put behind a screen and shot. The sky's the limit, the horses are on the starting line, the jockeys are frothing. It's time for Racehorse Movies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Racehorse Movies-ish, uh, almost. It definitely is Racehorse Movies, but uh, we are not going to be doing the normal thing this week. We are doing an episode 6.5, aren't we, Graham? We are uh, indeed. Hello, everybody. So this means uh, no horses. How can one have a Racehorse Movies without a horse, Graham? Well, we will ourselves have to become the horses, I suppose, uh, metaphorically, yes. uh, if, if in no other means. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to be having a chat. We're going to be having hmm. a chinwag, a bit of a catch-up, uh, maybe a little bit of a reflection on uh, how we how things are going, really, because this <laughs> yes. is the first time we've done anything like this. I'm going to take the pulse. Yes, if even our own. Different um, yeah. yeah, that's it. Well, we're six episodes into the series and probably planning like 12 episodes maybe for season mm-hmm. one. And obviously, as you all know, and probably realise very, very quickly when you started listening to this, we are completely unprofessional. This is the first time we've done anything like anything like this. So, <laughs> spoiler alert, Graham. What spoiler are you doing? alert. We don't know what we're doing. We're making it up as we go along. <laughs> but we thought we would do a mid-season break, chatting about other things that are happening in the Never Press at the moment and things we're looking forward to perhaps for the podcast itself for part two of season one, whenever that shall land. And to say, you know, thank you extraordinarily for uh, coming with us and letting oh, us... Oh, thank oh, you, man. So sorry. Uh, no, <laughs> allow me to... Uh, so, Graham, thank you so much for... Uh, oh, no, you're more than welcome. <laughs> and thank you, too, in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Negligibly somewhere, uh, as mm-hmm. one might thank an ant that uh, didn't uh, get underneath my foot when I'm on my morning constitutional. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, really appreciate you guys uh, listening. Uh, thank mm. you so much. Uh, we're really, uh, well, I shan't speak for both of us, but I might. I'm, I'm going to, actually. I think we're no, both really do. enjoying this, man. Uh, and it's uh, it's been a real joy to uh, take part in the last six episodes, and it's going to be uh, exactly the same moving forward for the next six. Uh, six. Uh, so yeah. really appreciate that, guys. It's been great. I don't, it's from something that was just us larking about in a pub 20-odd years ago, which is horrible to say. Mm-hmm. So finally having something that we can bore people to death with as we bored them to <laughs> death with in the pub. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really lovely getting it up and running. It's been a lot of work, um, but then nothing of value ever came easy. And it's, it's not saying that this has got great value, but it has very been very well. Well, to us, if, if nothing yes. else, it absolutely it's has, I think, man. Very enriching so far. It's uh, uh, personally been really... Uh, a welcome chance to mm-hmm. uh, flex some creative muscles again, which yes. I uh, have not done enough of late and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm extraordinarily thankful uh, that it has given me the uh, the vim uh, in a mm. Ricky Langford <laughs> father <laughs> and a monkey way, uh, you know, to get involved with something like this again. It's been uh, quite rewarding and a yeah, really good fun. So, you know, nice one. And I hope, I hope the happiness and joy that we get from making these comes across and people like to hear or get get some fun and enjoyment out of our stupid ideas which probably aren't quite as stupid as things like ant-man quantum mania but then what is (laughs) yeah that's it yeah we can't reach those highs those giddy highs as a little easter egg to everyone out there we have mentioned ant-man and the wasp and our annoyance about that 
film in nearly every recording of this podcast and I have just edited it out every single time. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be, other than the original mention, our yeah. subsequent rants yeah. over time have just been Well, it's, it's strange how it, it's it. one of those few films that um, was completely inoffensive, really, when I first mm-hmm. saw it. And yes. then it's just made me angrier the more I've thought about it. And the, the, like, the, as the time has got further, it's like, it shouldn't yeah. work like that. When the trauma yeah. is behind me, I should be like slowly forgetting it, digesting it and getting over it kind yeah. of thing. There wasn't even any trauma. It was just so bland. Yeah. Yeah. And yet now I, I'm just so... Uh, anyway, anyway, we shan't... Look, we're doing it again, God. But this is another 10 minutes. Again, we're yeah. editing out here, man. This is crazy. Oh, unbelievable. Um, All right. Well, let's go from some... Let's talk about something not so bland and ridiculous. Yeah. And... Yeah, man. What we watched... What you got what for us, watched, Graham? Speaking of, I've got something that is the polar opposite of bland and inoffensive and machine-tooled and factory-churned out. and In the shape of? In the shape of a classic British horror film from the 70s that I managed to catch at the BFI a few weeks ago, or maybe last week, on its full Final Cut 4K restoration the film being the mighty, the mighty Wicker Man. Oh, wowzers. I, okay, so how the devil was that? Have you seen that on the big screen before? Is this the first time you've seen it on the cinema? I have never seen it on the big screen before. I've only seen it uh, on the small screen, on VHS or DVDs at friends' houses at university or movie nights and stuff like that. Seeing it on the big screen is quite the experience. How, uh, how... Effective was it? Were you did did, did the um, the years between its release and uh, you sat there now melt away and you feel like you were watching uh, one of those vital timeless kind of movies? Was that the kind of experience, man? Was it scary at all? Yes, I mean I find it really scary. There was some tittering and laughter in the audience, maybe because it's a young audience hasn't seen it. They've come to see a cult classic that they perhaps haven't seen before. Not to or maybe, I don't know, maybe there could be people who are in there that's, you know, a million times and find it funny. But to me, it's, and from the outset, it's just incredibly upsetting mm-hmm. and weird and creepy. And then it just goes into outright nightmare territory. Yeah, yeah, end. yeah. I mean, like, that is probably one of the uh, greatest horror climaxes of all yes. time, isn't it? I think. Uh, it's yeah, the so last 20, the last 20 is, minutes. Yeah. It's great. And seeing it on the big screen in, in the beautiful restoration was fantastic. Can you see when the uh, other scenes have been added in? Yes. Or are they, yeah, okay, oh, I was wondering yes. how, uh, oh, yeah, how effective yes. they might be by that chopping uh, that, yeah, that happened to them earlier. To be honest, the bits that they chopped in, now it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I think the, there is an opening scene where he's Edward Woodward's character. Maybe I should give a synopsis of the film or I should just tell everyone to go watch The Wicker Man. I think don't yet because we will end up getting into that iconic ending and spoiling it potentially yeah. if people haven't seen it. I'll give, like, a very, I'll, very, I'll give a very brief synopsis. Okay, yeah, yeah, please, yeah. It's a 1973 film, The Wicker Man. <laughs> it's a British classic thriller horror movie, maybe the greatest horror movie ever made. Edward Woodward is a policeman in the Outer Hebrides on the mainland and he gets called over to Summer Isle, which is a very small island um, a few hours away by seaplane to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. And when on the island, things go awry. Yeah, okay. And it's um, a treatise on religion and order, old ways, new ways, all these kind of 
clashes and contrasts come together when the orderly policeman gets involved with a society that are quite self-sufficient and have their own ways. And why should they curtail to authority that has come here anyway? And we've seen echoes of this film in so many films, in so many filmmakers, Ari Aster, Midsummer. um, uh, sort of some of the work of Gareth Evans with Apostle. Um, it's the the iconic remake with Nicolas Cage. Uh, <laughs> no, but it really, I, I would like to watch it um, through the spectrum of having seen uh, Ari Aster movies, Ben Wheatley movies, having seen mm. all of those now, because I haven't seen it yeah. since I have watched all of those guys out. But... And it's also, it's, it's a blueprint for thrillers as well, I see, because it's the outsider comes to a place that they've never been to before and think because they've come from a place of education or a place of <laughs> um, sophistication, whatever it is, they come and they've really just immediately bitten off more than they can chew. Yeah, you, well, that, and there you've got like a double billet with Southern Comfort or U-Turn or something yeah. like that, which do exactly exactly. the same. That is the, or a Wake and Fright even. Wake and uh, Fright, yeah. Or the, a, um, recent film that we both love, The Ritual, to <sighs> come to this town <sighs> and, the, and the town themselves are very kind of close-knit and they have their own way of doing things. Yeah. And, and, and please forever thus. Get in the way of that because yeah. there'll be repercussions. Yeah, Eden Lake, I think we talked about on one of our previous we absolutely pod- did. podcasts. There's a similar vibe to that. You just, you, can't, you mess for the wrong people and i, I feel kind of a slightly scared just talking about those situations that is mm. really effective for me or affecting mm. uh to me uh and I, I generally started to get a little bit tense in thinking of being the outsider being yeah. uh, so cut off and no normal rules apply um yes. that's a it's a wonderfully terrifying deliciously terrifying situation to watch people in it is and the wicker man being the blueprint of it but it's also it's so much deeper than the, the layers that we've just been talking about the, the the intellectualism that goes in the spirituality the just the depth of it and the richness uh, it just all adds up to one of the best and probably one of the most famous endings yeah. of all time in yeah, yeah 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 but it was great it was fantastic it was a good crowd um it was wonderful print it was nice it was 93 minutes long oh <laughs> oh goodness me bring bring it on that's absolutely yeah. wonderful what a length and the per one of the but that is the absolute perfect horror movie length man yes it is completely and wonderful as we mentioned the wonderful genius of sir christopher lee <sighs> at his fullest most charming scary debonair Funny, he is like we were talking about titters earlier. There's the part yeah. uh, which it's it's apart from the end and the general yes. scary vibe. One of the only things I remember is when uh, Woodward uh, is is sort of interviewing uh, Christopher Lee at one point, and mm. uh, behind him, outside, I think through the window, there's loads of people <laughs> dancing naked around the fire, and yeah. Edward Woodward is absolutely horrified of this, and of course immediately mentions it to Christopher Lee, and he's like, there, there are "People dancing naked around the fire," and Christopher Lee's like, "Well, of course they are." Otherwise, they burn their clothes or something <laughs> yeah, along those so lines. And his delivery yeah, of that actually, is yeah. just so perfect. Yeah, He's just like, yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. what are you talking about, you idiot? You're the weird one, man. Yeah, and it's so one good. of his delivery of that says all of that in in two lines. He's he's wonderful, man. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I watched The Wicked Man at the cinema, and it was wonderful. And what about you? I well, I have well, I, I've uh, it's a horror of sorts, I suppose, um, because I watched a film called Rolling Thunder. Uh, from 1977, which is a Paul Schrader-written movie uh, directed by John Flynn, who uh, I found out has directed one of the finest prison movies of all time, which I hope some of the montages of are playing in your head right now, Graham. Mm -hmm. Um, He 
he directed Lock Up with Sylvester Stallone, which has one of the best bonding oh. over car fixing montages I have ever seen in all of my days. Rolling Thunder is a little bit more uh, stripped back. Uh, it feels very 1977. It feels very Paul Schrader. Uh, it's about uh, a Vietnam vet who comes back home. Um, Vietnam vet is played by William Devane. He was in a fantastic... I'm so sorry to, uh, for starting what I'm about to say, but he was in an absolutely amazing cowboy time travel film in maybe the early 90s called Time Something. Uh, time Renegades, Time Bandits... Time not, Stalkers. Time Stalkers. Oh, my goodness. Right, anyway, that'll be next week's watch. Okay, brilliant. Well, that I remember that from my childhood as well. So William Devane, um, we've got Paul Schrader, we've got a really good director, John Flynn. It's also got Linda Haynes in and a young, uh, blank, giant, terrifying Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, he, is, <laughs> oh. he has never not all three of those things. Oh, uh, well, young, I guess not. And it's he very never, strange to young. see him. No, no. And I thought like Gene Hackman. Like Gene Hackman, yeah, never young. But Tommy Lee Jones, I thought that he had always had that that a beautiful cliffside face of his, man. <laughs> the Rushmore of movie stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the pigeons have been on for a while. Um, He's going to come after us, isn't he? Uh, no, he face. really will. And like, I fear few things more than Tommy Lee Jones, I think. So please do not, Tommy. And I'm about to mm. effuse about how talented you are. But it was really odd seeing him so young. Anyway. Devane, mm. Vietnam vet, comes home. Uh, yeah. He finds out his wife is with another man. She thought he was dead because he's been in a prisoner of war camp for the last, mm-hmm. like, five years. Um, and uh, his wife is seeing another man. He, the first night he comes home, she says, I'm seeing another dude. Um, and he's basically raising your son now. I thought you were dead. Sorry, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's going to happen, isn't it? He doesn't react to it. He's just sat there and he's just like, okay. <laughs> Goes right. and pops up in the shed. Uh, he gets given a silver dollar for every day he was away in Vietnam. By like, so he, go, he goes and lives in the shed in the garden? Yep. Yeah, because he's literally, he's come home. He has got nowhere right. to go. He's got nothing wow. at the moment. And okay, that's his that's first tough. night. Some punks see the broadcast. They go to his house to rob him. Uh, they blend his hand in a waste disposal unit in the <laughs> sink, saying, where are the coins? We know they're here. We saw you on telly. Give us the coins. His wife and kid turn up. They blow them away. Oh, my God. He reacts naughty. Yeah, this wasn't, like, written by Luke in one of his Alpharida moods, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes. Sure? Uh, so he is he is a complete blank slate, but the way that William Devane acts a blank slate is, mm. it's powerful. It's not just him not reacting. Yeah. It's him simmering and seething and broken and desperate, but... N- but blank somehow, but yeah. you still read all of this in his performance. Yeah. It's incredible. And then once his wife and son are off, a uh, roaring rampage of revenge ensues. Um, it's actually quite a calm movie until its, uh, it's uh, rampaging end, uh, which is a sort of massive shootout in a brothel in the sort of Mexico border when he finally tracks down the men that yeah. uh, enacted this violence upon him. Rolling thunder. All right, I'll check that out. Maybe double bill that with Rambo. I'm born on the 4th of July for a triple bill. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Coming home from Vietnam is not a nice thing to have done. No, not at all. Not at all. Unless uh, you're in Blind Fury. Unless Uh, you're in Blind Fury, which leads us on to... (laughs) Which was, to continue my Vietnam uh, little little, little dash of movies, I, yeah, I gave that a watch uh, the other night as well. And it's it's kind of... It strikes me as sort of one of the more perfect films that has ever existed. It's just such a clean... Clean idea executed pretty perfectly. And that idea being? Uh, Forgive me, that's a very good point. Um, uh, We've got 
Uh, Rutger Hauer is mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam. Uh, he's in the, we were introduced in the middle of a massive battle. Grenade goes off next to him. He is blinded. Um, he is taken in by some very nice Vietnamese people who rescue him. Uh, they tend to his wounded eyes, but he is now blind. Uh, so they obviously teach him how to be one of the best sword fighters slash ninjas that has ever existed. That's what you do. And then he comes home from Vietnam to find... Well, uh, similarly to Rolly Thunder, so it's a good old double. Um, but he find, he goes to uh, find his, his Vietnam buddy. Um, he goes to his house and the Vietnam buddy's involved with like dealing drugs or making drugs for this like, mm -hmm. crime lord. The crime lord sent his henchmen round to the house at the same time that like Blind Fury turns up and obviously chaos ensues. The wife gets killed. This is horrible. Uh, this happens mm. far too much in these films. And uh, he saves the son. Uh, and he then you you get a road trip as he tries to take the son back lone to the wolf, father. Like a lone wolf and cub kind of thing, right? Absolutely. And you get and the kid was very close to being insanely annoying. Um, but then Rutger Hauer reacts to the kid as if he's insanely annoying, uh, and so it's absolutely fine. I have a, the kid is is this a like he grew up to be? No, I am, I'm sure well, he might have grown up like a few years later. I think if memory <laughs> serves, and this is a deep cut. I think the kid played Hobie, which was Mitch Buchanan, which is David Hasselhoff's son <laughs> in the first season of Baywatch. Ah, uh, I'm, I'm having to frantically Google this right now because that is an incredible pull. If I've got that right, I'm going to give myself a beer. Let's have a look. Cast, I can't remember his name. What's his name? Billy Devereaux. Yeah, here we go. Billy Devereaux. What else was he in? Right. In 1989, uh, Cal was cast as Hobie Buchanan for the maiden season of NBC's Baywatch. Come on! <laughs> so well, that's the level There's no of way that anybody should know that. That is ridiculous use of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, And I yeah. shouldn't be proud of that. I should not be as happy as I was. Why have I got this use? Why do I know this? Who cares? Boy, it's, it's just proof your brain's working, man. That's always something to be celebrated, yeah, I think. Maybe. I remember what I remember most about Blind Fury, other than the kid from Baywatch and mm -hmm. the Rook Howard's amazing charm and the sword fighting stuff, was even at the time when I watched it, I must have been about 13 or something. I'm not sure when it came out, 87, 88. So I, I, but I didn't see it when it came out. Anyway, it seemed, even though it's a Vietnam film, the sensibilities of it seemed very, very 80s. Oh, it's incredibly 80s. Yeah. So like, I've no spoilers, but the bad guy dies. But the bad guy, if I remember rightly, dies in a way that is. That systematically happens to bad guys in 80s movies. Yes. Yeah, which we may have discussed previously in yes. the podcast, in fact. I Absolutely. think we might have. And he does, right? I'm not getting... I'm, uh, yeah, I'm almost certain he does, yeah. Right. Uh, and as part of the intimidation that Rutger Hauer... Um, uh, puts uh, the the main bad guy through. He goes up to a desk when he finally gets to you know the, the <laughs> layer, as it were. He goes up to the desk and you see him go like and do a quick sword move. And mm. then there's a shot which is just looking at the desk, the uh, surface of the desk, and two eyebrows are on it. And then you cut back up to the bad guy's face and he's got no eyebrows and just a tiny bit no. of blood. And he cuts his eyebrows off to like like give him a warning it's it's just so cool it's just one of the best <laughs> things that i've ever witnessed man. i don't think if that happened to me i would consider that one i'd think that's more like a magic trick <laughs> would you just be like oh my god that's amazing how did you do that i mean they'll grow back it's totally fine but how did you do it yeah 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 do you do hair like can you do cut you it it's crazy that's such a strange 
I have no idea where it came from. And that also speaks to like the tone of the movie because it's all goofy. Uh, it's, yeah. It is very goofy. It's not particularly bloody. It's a beautiful B movie. And it just absolutely, uh, I think it hits all of its points brilliantly. Great shootout in the cornfield. Like it's got loads of, yeah, I definitely recommend. Uh, what about yourself? Have you got anything else? I'm yapping, man. Um, yeah, I saw, uh, what did I see? On Sunday, I went to the cinema, the Ritzy um, Picture House in Brixton, one of my favourite cinemas. Not that we're sponsored by the picture house. And I saw Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson. Uh, okay, film, okay. Which I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm not a... Well, I'm... A, okay, how do we phrase this? It's difficult. I was thinking about it today because I knew I wanted to talk about this film. And I was thinking about how to phrase it. And as you can tell, I didn't come to any conclusions <laughs> because I haven't figured out how I'm going to phrase it. Yeah, the way you're looking up at the ceiling yeah, suggests my relationship uh, that was never Anderson. resolved. I, yeah. It's wonderful that artists like Wes Anderson... Mm-hmm get to realise their visions in such a way and they reach a mainstream audience and he gives access to all the, all the tools and paraphernalia and talent around them to realise these amazing visions. I think it's fantastic. It's great. However, <laughs> that, but, no, but it also, it's a, it's a good thing, I think, that that doesn't necessarily mean that, for me personally, every film is a home run. For some, like for me, like Paul Thomas Anderson's never made a bad film. Yeah. Everything he's ever done for me has just struck... Gold for me. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson, I think sometimes a bit of hit and miss, but even even his misses are way above whatever what else is out there. Oh, at least uh, it's a unique vision that's come from you yeah. know. It feels- and he has his definite style, and he has his definite ways, which sometimes can get in the way of the yeah, story yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I find um, I wasn't too keen on the French Dispatch when it came out. I started really loving it. And then I just started running out of steam and uh, these stylistic choices and the clever cleverness of it kind of got, got in the way of it. Can be a, a bit cloying, bit. I think. It can be a bit cloying. Yeah. And we've said this many, many times on the podcast. It was great because it was 90 minutes long, oh, which I think is the I, perfect amount of Wes Anderson. That's a good meal. Yeah. Uh, anything yeah, yeah. more and I'm over. I'm overfed. Yeah. There's 90 minutes. All the regulars are in it, plus a few surprises. Yeah, a few like and. Then- some big names, even even yep. considering his previous cast members. It was um, it was really good. It was um, there's a moment halfway through the film when something big happens. I won't spoil it here, but the whole cinema gasped, then started laughing. But you could mm. feel the energy change in the room, whereby um, I think we mentioned something similar in the previous episode, where a, a director or a writer or an artist or whatever they go one way, and you either go with them. Yep. Or you don't, and if you go with them, it's just a blast. Yeah. And there's a there's a section in the in the film where this happened, and everyone in the room, it's it felt like everybody in the room went the right way, and you could feel the electricity, you could feel the laugh, you could hear the laughter, obviously, but you could just feel the this is so wonderful, this is so great. Um, the person I was who I was with had never seen a Wes Anderson film, um, and I was really enjoying it laughing along but when that moment happened which is a real like left or right choice <laughs> they just burst out laughing and they thought it was so cool amazing okay it was so wonderful and it came just at the right time of the field just energized everything just kicked everything up a gear yeah and um i loved it do you think moving forward after we do this and please anyone out there tell us to stop or tell us to go at <laughs> racehorse movies at the to do a few of these one-shot mid-season breaky type shows, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, where we just talk about a franchise or we just talk about something. Yeah, and let us know. 
Let us know if you uh, want us to do that or if you think we should just stick to... I can hear them screaming no and they haven't yeah. even heard this yet, Graham. <laughs> What's happening? Maybe we That's should just in your walls. the mind cinema and creating our own wonderful Star Wars knockoffs. Right, Graham, man, thank you very much for that uh, comprehensive uh, uh, description of what you have just watched, man. I will be checking out two films now because of you, so that is always Mm. appreciated, man. That's why I like talking to you, because I get inspiration to watch more movies, so that's much appreciated, Mm. man. But uh, to quiz you further, uh, I'm going to turn the light on you and say, what else have you been up to, man? I think you've got something that you'd like to share with us, and you certainly should if if you don't mind, that is, man. I do. Well, thank you so much for teeing that up so beautifully. Um, yes, some news, some lovely news from um, Fortress Never Press. We have released our very first audiobook that has just gone live. Um, it's been a long time coming. It's our first audiobook, and we've done every part of it. We've produced it. The Never Press have produced it, recorded it, directed it, edited it, sound mixed it, original music, all that stuff, all done. And it's out. It's called Maria and the Devil. Shameless plug time. It's called Maria and the Devil, and it's a book I wrote 10 years ago, actually. And it's a psychological, magical, realist Western thriller. And it's out now on on Audible, on Spotify, all major platforms. And we're really proud of it. It came out really well. The actor, Molly Malcolm, who did the read, was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. You know, this is a performance. So Molly just came at it great guns and has put in this most beautiful scary, heartfelt, tender, empathetic read, and with wonderful music by my good friend Paul Condren, who will put some links to some of his music in the show notes, perhaps. Yeah. But yes, Maria and the Devil, our first audiobook from the Never Press is out now to buy with your hard-earned monies if you do see the need to part with them. If you don't, if you're unsure, head over to... Um, the website, head over to YouTube, head over to wherever and have a listen to a sample. And if Absolutely. you'd like to pick up what we put down, please do. So that's pretty much what we've been doing and what we uh, have done. While I was walking home today, mm-hmm. uh, this this sounds like it's going to be an awful story, so I'll make it really, really short because no one wants to hear stories. Oh, it could be the start of a Morrissey thing, couldn't it? While I was walking when home... When I was walking home today... A girl I, a girl I once knew walked past me threw something down and it splashed on my shoe. They were flowers that she once grew with me in the balcony. (laughs) And then I fell down upon the pavement onto my knee and got splashed by the number 73. (laughs) That is my Morrissey (laughs) song. Your Morrissey, like, beat poetry. My Morrissey beat poetry. Yeah. I won't do it in a second. As well, speaking of beat poetry, actually, mm-hmm. I was walking out today listening to Lamb Wainwright, which I'm often, uh, uh, I often love to do. As is your want. And he has a, a song called The Movies Are a Mother to Be. And I thought that it kind of really beautifully captured why I so uh, adore films. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if I could read Is it too horribly cringy and awful to read the uh, first verse from that? No, please I do. Um, I should. Let the viewers, uh, the listeners out there know that Luke is now wearing a roll neck sweater. He has uh, put on a cigarillo. He's got a cigarillo and uh, he's going to read to you. And like all beat poet audiences, we won't applause by clapping. Clicks, please. Uh, That made my jazz ears perk (laughs) up. But yeah, I just thought it was 
it was a really nice um, bit of poetry that completely summed up one of the reasons I so absolutely adore film and always have kind of a thing. So anyway, without any more uh, nonsense, uh, the movies are a mother to me. There's nothing like a movie to move me back to sanity when I've gone insane. A rainy Tuesday or a Saturday night when I messes with me and then we start a fight. We both head for the flicks. Things come out all right. We both enjoy that show. When two brothers get bad and push each other around, a mother can say things straight. She can handle her boys. Mum can calm them down. She's got that special trait. Sometimes I am my own enemy. Sometimes my own enemy is me. Then my enemy and me go and see a good movie. We come out friends again. There's nothing like the silver screen to patch things up, to intervene, to bridge the gap that lies between me and myself. Well, there we have it. Another episode of Racehorse Movies is over. We both hope you had as much fun listening as we did coming up with these films and recording our pitches. If you enjoyed this, please share it around with your friends and loved ones. If it wasn't your thing, I don't know, maybe share it with someone you miffed with. Who knows? If it's not for them either, maybe you two can build some bridges over that connection. But if you did like picking up what we put down and you fancy checking out some more content from us, then head over to theneverpress.com to take a gander at our novels, poetry and other bits and bobs. Anyway, that's about enough from us. Hope to have you back next time for some friendly chats and barely thought through pitches at Racehorse Movies. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!